Hello, and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today's episode is with, uh, well, just a, a longtime friend, friend that I just admire and have followed throughout his career and am lucky enough to get time with today. Jason Wagenheim is the president and chief revenue officer for Bustle Digital Group. Jason Wagenheim, welcome to the show. Hey, Lisa. It's nice to see you and hear you. So at some point I will do this thing on video, but you know, let's face it. I was, when we first got this started, it was a messy bun and it was sweatpants and it was a conversation, you know, in my spare bedroom over here in Alexandria, Virginia, just uh, in the shadows of the Capitol. But I, so, okay. So full disclosure, Jason Wagenheim, Wagenheim and I have been friends since high school, uh, co-presidents of, uh, of lots of different fun clubs and, uh, went to the prom together. Great, great, great time. And like so many good stories that we'll, we'll not tell you in the podcast, but all my best memories are are of of you back in high school, Lisa. Just so fun. But okay. So you were the host, the co-host of the Spartan update. You have been, you are, you have been in the media space since like since high school, but now you have this great career and I've followed you for for many many years but talk to me a little bit about how you got started like what is it you what did you go to school for how did you get into this business and then I want to talk about because so much of the media business has changed since you started I want to talk a little bit about that too mm. so talk to me about how you how yeah, you sounds good yeah tell me you know it, it's funny that you mentioned Spartan Update and all the clubs that we participated in because that that really helped define what I didn't realize that would be my future in media I always knew that I would loved journalism. I was, I was attracted to storytelling. I wrote for the junior high school, you know, newspaper, the high school newspaper. We started a television show, a daily uh, closed circuit, you know, today show of sorts for uh, for for the students at Ocean Township High School. Um, and I just I just knew in my blood somehow. I can't explain it. I've been asked before, but it's just something about storytelling and you know being front and center in the middle of a, a popular conversation, whatever it might be was something that always attracted me. So I went to college at the University of South Carolina for exactly that and majored in journalism and also advertising. I wrote for the paper there, started a magazine uh, that's still around and doing well 25 years ago now or so. And um, just just really participated. I, you know, it, it, it is an interesting thing that you mentioned the clubs, all jokes aside. You know, I interview so many students who come out of school and they have 4.0 GPAs and went to places like Harvard and Columbia and they have these amazing resumes that don't have extracurricular activities on them, like Mm -hmm. working for the school paper or taking the time to try and sell an ad for your school newspaper to the local restaurant. That defined my, my, my college years and got me my first job. You know, nobody cared what my GPA was. They wanted to know that I could hustle and that I could sell ads or I could write a story. And the experience that I got in student media at the University of South Carolina really set me up and gave me real world experience in a very safe, enclosed academic environment. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I don't underestimate with any anybody that I ever interview for a job, the value of, of that uh, type of experience. 
Do you think that uh, now here you are, you're interviewing these smart people that are coming into your space. Do you think that they are uh, learning on the job? Um, are they, how, because they are so brilliant, but so much of what we do uh, is about having that instinct, right? It's instinctual, right? And it really is sort of built in. So I'm curious, how do they get that experience if they're arriving on the scene? Are you, how are they getting that work done? How are they figuring that out? Yeah, sure. Sir. There's something to be said for on the job training for having great mentors and people in your life that you could look to as role models. I think oftentimes with mentors and in, in career environments, you you look to them to, because you want to emulate them and you want to be them one day. But, you know, it's often also important to look at the things that they do that you don't like and that you don't want to be. So you you can be aware of like um, of those things as well as you're developing your own persona in business. But I think, you know, the more that the more that you can participate at work very early in your career and not just be a wallflower, but really, you know, do those tasks that aren't necessarily part of your job spec or work really well cross-functionally just be likable, you know, like uh, people also underestimate the value of like being an active, engaged contributor that you want to go to work with every day. And, you know, that, that very early on in my career and that type of networking inside and that reputational capital that I was able to build with people that were colleagues of mine, but also the big bosses, you know, when I first started at News Corps out of college, um, that, that helped me advance as much as the work itself. And, um, I think in a world where we're living on screens and we're, you know, living more virtually than we ever have, you know, all accelerated by the pandemic. Um, it's, we, we are losing that water cooler conversation that five minutes to pop into the boss's office and have that chat. And that I, I, I'm a little worried about that. I'm worried about Gen Z and younger millennials who won't know what it's like to go to an office every day. I'm getting off on a tangent that we didn't mean to, but it's, a great it's top of mind for me because we're, we're living and breathing it right now in, 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 in journalism and advertising, you know, industry. It's so interesting that you say that because it has come up over and over again in my conversations over the course of the last year of doing the podcast. Reporters who are, are, are more seasoned are at our level, sort of mid-age, have had, you know, quite a few years behind them. They're able to pick up the phone and make those calls to colleagues that they've known uh, from around the mm -hmm. water cooler or they know from just experience in life. Um the disadvantage they're seeing for younger journalists is that they don't have that. They're not walking around yeah. the halls of Capitol Hall. They're not, um, excuse me, off Capitol Hill. They're not walking through the halls and having conversations. They're not seeing people at press conferences. They're not interfacing in the way that we are traditionally used to. And so that is something that either we're going to have to figure out how to either um, get back to in some ways, but also be you know creative in the way that we get it um, to get it to, to be, to help that that generation of folks that are coming up behind us. Absolutely. I mean, what we're really talking about here is just the, the good old fashioned relationship building. And, you know, I, I've grown up in this industry, you know, now nearly 27, 28 years in it. And I've built relationships with reporters who cover our industry. I've built relationships with great PR executives at the major fashion beauty retail companies that advertise with us. And you do that over coffee, you do that over breakfast. And then when the time comes, when, when you have a story or a beat that somebody's covering and they want to, you know, they want to call you for something, you just, you have that relationship established and it makes it so much easier. There's a lot more trust and credibility that's established. And I, I wonder what that looks like in a metaverse world, a Zoom world, where everything's virtual and it's very hard to build that relation, relationship. Uh, you know, uh, it's tough. It's it's. I, I feel like we're sounding like the the, the old fashioned. Uh, we are. 
we know, are people old, in the room. Those but, old, old, old souls. Men, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know but, the, but I, do, I do think about it often. And, and especially in, in your line of work, because so much of what you do is in on the business side of journalism, right? And so relationships aren't just about landing that good story. Boy, it's about being able to finance these great publications that you've worked at. And that's another piece that, that I have to believe is also going to be very different going forward. Talk to me a little bit about Bustle Digital Group and what it is, all the properties. Tell me about, tell, help, help the audience understand what it is you guys do. Yeah, so we are a big lifestyle publisher. We have 13 websites that we that we publish in one magazine. We acquired W Magazine from Condé Nast, the big fashion luxury title. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have that in print, which is great. But we have 13 websites, Bustle, Nylon, Elite Daily, The Zoe Report. We have some gadget gear, kind of curiosity sites like Input and Inverse. We have a huge parenting portfolio with sites like Scary Mommy, Romper, Fatherly, and The Dad. We, we are building a modern publishing company, like a Condé Nast, Hearst, you know, Dot Dash, Meredith, that is social, mobile, digital first. We reach 160 million people every single month between our social platforms and our ONO.com audiences. Um, and we believe you know, the thesis for this company and, and where it was founded upon in 2013 is that digital media does not have to be a four-letter word. It can be a successful, thriving, profitable business. If a shared infrastructure of sales, finance, HR, PR, tech, you know, the, the, the CTO all the way on down um, can, can underpin an infrastructure that has independent editorial teams, it's the only thing in our company independent is the editorial teams. Everything else is shared. Mm. And we're, we're thriving and profitable and on a path to do, you know, close to $200 million in revenue this year. Well, I, I have to tell you, even before I knew you were at Bustle, I mean, obviously been friends forever, but like the content is fantastic. Scary Mommy, all that stuff sort of speaks to, like you said, that lifestyle, right? Because we are living and working and, and parenting teenagers and doing all the things that we're doing. And the content you guys are putting out is just, I'm just continually drawn to it. I don't even think to go to Bustle to see what you're producing. It just is a natural go-to. Every week, I find myself on one of those platforms because the content is so good. Do you, uh, you so you say you have an editorial team for each one of those sites. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So they're, are they full-time journalists, freelance journalists, a combination both. of both? Yeah. Okay. A healthy, a healthy full-time staff, a healthy part-time staff, and then a bunch an army of reporters. We're publishing close to 300, 350 stories every single day across our, our, our 13 properties. So it's a big machine that we've built. We've got a proprietary CMS that allows our writers and editors to publish very, very quickly. We have a whole data and trends team that is constantly monitoring what the topic of the day is in any given genre. And then we're able to publish off of that very quickly as well. So it's a it's a very smart group of people, a very young group of people. Somehow I'm like one of the oldest people in the company. Everybody else is 30, um, <laughs> which is great, by the way. Yeah, because they make a smart and, too. You know, we're yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on the subject of mentorship, not another tangent, but I learned so much from them and I believe in reverse mentorship. And I, I've stayed super fresh and young and relevant in my head um, by understanding and, and working really closely and listening, you know, to the 30 year olds in our company as much as I do the, the, the few 50 year olds that are running around. There needs to be a few of us. We still have to work too. <laughs> There's a few. Yeah. Um, the, Gen X is saving the planet, Lisa. Gen I mean, X is saving the planet. We have been, well, listen, we've been training for the pandemic our whole life. These last key kids that we were, I mean, good grief. My kids are like, I'm bored. You're bored. What are you talking about? There's so much to do. You have all these channels. I mean, we just, I don't know how we stayed busy when we were kids. Uh, yeah. we stayed out of trouble at least a little bit. Mm. Um, so, but, but two, um, because of the pandemic, so the, BDG was 
most likely hosting events in person and doing a lot of face-to-face and a lot of, um, you know, the traditional type sales work, revenue generating work that you do in order to build and manage and maintain these great platforms. But the pandemic changed that, right? And so you really had to pivot and figure out how to be smart, even more smart digitally than you already were. Tell me a little bit about how that changed and what that looks like now for you guys. Yeah, look, I mean, on so many levels, the pandemic was, is, you know, we're still sort of in and hopefully coming through it. It it was, it's been the most challenging moment of my entire professional career and probably personal life. Um, You know, having to really um, get your team to rally together remotely and to make some really hard decisions about cost cutting that we made very early on. Mm -hmm. We lost about uh, half of our revenue in a 72 hour period when everybody panicked in March of 2020 and started cutting advertising campaigns, which is, of course, the lifeblood of our of our books. And, you know, getting the team to very quickly pivot, you know, from what we call the IRL to the URL and how do we host virtual events? How do we start to do instead of live yoga classes for Athleta? Like, how do we do that virtually? How do we do instead of, uh, you know, live parenting events? How do we do virtual? Let's make some pita pizzas in a toaster oven together, like mommy and me type of uh, classes. And we did that very quickly. And, And what we were able to do was... We kept the team, even though revenue was in the toilet, we kept the team very, very busy and focused on the on the great pivot to virtual, mm-hmm. um, how we comported ourselves inside the company and the ways that we had our daily meetings and stand-ups all the way through what we did for clients had to very suddenly shift. And by assigning our team projects and getting our team thinking about what the next six months would look like and how we would operate, we really came together. Like, I don't know that we would have had the opportunity to, if everything was fine, like it, it created such camaraderie and team building and just a shared purpose mm-hmm. um, of saving this company. We, we weren't in danger of going out of business, but no. saving the future of our company sure. and, and really re realigning our strategy midstream was a big deal um, for both our clients and our, and our, and our people. And mm-hmm. I, we've come through it super strong. We're more profitable and healthy than we've ever been. We acquired two companies in a pandemic, which is crazy. Yeah. W and the Scary Mommy brands. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 been a pretty wild two years. But but great too. I think I love that you said that too. That that we may not have grown, we may not have gotten that smart, we may not have figured it out if not f- being forced to. Right. I mean, yeah. same is true for communication. Same is true for for pitches and for um, landing stories and being relevant. I mean, it used to be in Washington that you had to sell every story you sold in Washington before the pandemic had to have some element of Trump in it, right? I mean, if you were pitching a story about exercise clothes, there had to be some way that it tied back to the White House in order for someone to care about it, right? And then he vacated the White House, the pandemic uh, continued to rage on. That was the that was the new thing, right? You had to figure out how to be relevant, how it all sort of came together. Um, and it was a force multiplier, because every time I tell a story now, it's how is it affecting your life? Now that we're all virtual, and now that we're all, you know, more aware of our health care than ever before, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a different time. But I, I love that you say that, because I do think we'll come out smarter and better for it. Definitely. And I mean, what you're really talking about, too, is just the idea of innovation. And I mean, companies who don't innovate survival of the fittest. I mean, companies who don't move their business forward are able to be iterative and nimble, cannot survive, especially in these very, very fast changing times. You know, and I grew up in this business at Condé Nast, mostly, and uh, places like Dennis Publishing and News Corp. And I watched, you know, I was publisher at Teen Vogue for four years. I meant to ask you you about that. I meant to ask you about that. That that must have been a ton of fun to be at Teen Vogue in your 40s. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. I, I honestly, you know, flash forward, I don't know that the 40 something, you know, white male would have been publisher of Teen Vogue back in 2011 <laughs> when I was named publisher, but it worked back then. Trust me, it did work sure. back then. I'm just we teasing because I thought it would be fun. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a lot of uh, a lot of fun and there was a lot of innovation that we brought to that brand. But, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like The Undertaker um, managing decline, you know, the decline of print publishing and, and audiences and advertisers alike and not being able to keep up with digital social mobile fast enough. You know, when you're a big company like Condé Nast, you have to it's hard to write that thing and, mm-hmm. you know, pivot into a, a, a digital social mobile future. Why still so much of your revenue is reliant on something that has less demand from audiences and advertisers. And that's what I love about our company at Bustle is, you know, we launched it in 2013 with um, all the digital social mobile storytelling formats without having to worry about any legacy baggage. And when a pandemic smacks you in the face like a truck, you can you can be super nimble and innovate and you don't have to worry about leaving much behind. Tell me a little because uh, because you're in New York. Are your offices in the city, too? We are. Yeah. yeah. We're and all so, over, but New York is the HQ. Yeah. And so you, I mean, in New York, obviously, pandemic was huge, right? I mean, it, more than ever, it, you looked at the city that always thrives and, and, and it's just busy and moving changed dramatically, like overnight, and really got hit very, very hard. Um, did you, do you continue to main space there? You still have office space there too in New York? Or are you guys virtual do. now? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've downsized a little bit. We, we, we gave up about a third of our real estate in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we have this hybrid flex, uh, very optional uh, work work remote plan right now that our team is is uh, liking. Smart, yeah. And and do you foresee ever going back to the old model, or do you think we're we're moving forward? Do you think we're probably in this hybrid for a while? Yeah, I I think we're going to be in this hybrid place for a long time. And what I do fear, there's a great article in the journal recently about you know Gen Z not wanting to go back to work, but mm-hmm. in the meantime, you know, rates of suicide, depression, anxiety are way way up because they're living alone virtually and like working virtually and they're in small studio apartments in Brooklyn or wherever. And, you know, that social interaction is something and that camaraderie that we were talking about earlier that really comes with being in the office cannot be replaced by a 30 minute Zoom appointment that has to be scheduled at 1030 or whatever. So I'm really hopeful and encouraging our team to get back into the office at least a day or two a week to meet their teams, collaborate, go to happy hour, go to breakfast, go grab a salad together downstairs. Definitely. Those moments are super important. And, um, you know, I hope can find their way back in sooner than later. We've started getting back to the office, you know, a couple days a week. I'm I'm popping in two to three days a week. And it, it's just it's awesome it's yeah. just great to be back with the team I went but we're never going back five days a week we're never going back nine to five five days a week I, I don't see that happening ever yeah and I don't I, and look that was an old model that was a model that was built you know in a different era a different time I went to the office yesterday for the first time first off I couldn't even find my access card to get into the building it's it must live somewhere here in one of my handbags I can't even remember what bag I was carrying two years ago I can't believe it's been two years it's amazing how much it's just I mean it's crazy fast it, it time is. has just flown and dragged on but it, it did so I get that that reluctance to get up and get moving because let's face it it took me an extra minute to figure out what to put on because also dress codes have changed too like I mean you know it used to be suit and tie and now it's like I don't know what is what is the code right so you think about totally. that a little more you think about you know how it is you're going to get in there but then we had a we had a brainstorming session where we have a client that's that's really busy and really it's our high priority client but there are issues um are really technical and detailed and difficult to communicate to a, an audience that's not necessarily savvy about the issue. Um, so 
sure enough, we got together with the creative team, Jason. And just like you're saying, like ideas came out that never would have come out if they, if we weren't sitting across the room from one another, you can read people's language. It felt good to be in the room together, smart thoughts. And I can't wait to present this to the client because it's this really smart program that I really think will be very, very uh, successful for them too. I mean, I, I went to my first big pitch over at Horizon Media. There was, you know, 15 clients in the room. It was a few months ago before Christmas. And it was, it was just, it was terrific. I mean, to be live and presenting and having the, the feedback in the room and not, you know, sitting in front of a Zoom screen with half the room having, you know, being on mute and having their screens off, uh, their video off. It's there, nothing can replace that. And we all walked out of the meeting high five and we won this big pitch on the spot. And awesome. it just, it felt, it felt amazing. And I was, it, it, I forgot how to check in to your point about the key card. I forgot how to check in in an agency like, yeah. and go through the turnstile. Like, what do I do? I can hit. Anyway. All of those things will come back to us for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You, you've been at so many good brands and so many smart brands and, and you're on the, on the business side, um, making sure that the, the publications are successful, but you also have great relationships with journalists and you know, what kinds of, con- what kind of content is really driving traffic and getting people to pay attention. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I think that just dawned on me when I was having that conversation yesterday, content really, really matters. And it has to be the kind of thing that you use on the business side to say, the team at Bustle is doing it best because they've figured out what the, you know, what the secret sauce is to make people come to our site. Talk to me a little bit about that, if you will. Yeah, I mean, look, I give all the credit in the world to our content creators, you know, led by Emma Rosenblum on the lifestyle side and Josh Sapolsky on our uh, culture and innovation sites and Sarah Moonves, who runs W, like they're the real they're the real magic behind the operation without them and the content that they're creating with their teams and the creative strategy that they lay out. There is no there is no business to sell. There's no audience to reach. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they, they can definitely talk more about the secret sauce. But for me, it's about having a real POV. Um, and sticking to that and really understanding what your brand is and the stories in which you tell, you know, mm-hmm. through that lens, um, making sure that that's consistent and resonating with an audience, really understanding your audience and how to engage with them and the platforms with which they're engaging. We think about content much less about just our dot coms and it's how we how we show up on TikTok and Snap and Instagram. I mean, all those formats really matter for a brand yeah. like for brands like ours. Yeah. Um, but. I have a lot of respect for what they do. There's a great you know, line between church and state that we sometimes try and tiptoe or cross. But at the end of the day, you know, we're nothing without the editorial credibility and the equity that we're able to build with our audiences. And uh, that starts with our with our editors and writers. Yeah, no, and no doubt about it. And, and you guys, as I said before, I mean, it's a constant it's a constant click through for me. I've got to see what's up there because it's smart and it speaks to me. Um and, it, and I love it. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Two questions that are pandemic related pa- uh, questions. Uh, what are you streaming right now? Is there something that you can recommend that you're loving show wise for my audience or for me? We just we just started watching Severance on Apple TV, Ooh, okay. which is Ben Stiller. And it's uh, the idea that you sever uh, this thing in your brain between your work life and your personal life. So you forget the other when you're at the other. So when you're at work, you have no idea who you are, you know, with your personal life and vice versa. It's pretty, pretty wild. Okay, good, good. And uh, are you reading anything these days that's, uh, that's got you interested? Anything you can recommend? Maybe not even today or tomorrow. And the answer can be, I'm not, I'm not finding time to read right now. 
you know, I, I read so much of the trades and I'm like, I'm buried in the wall street journal and all of the, the mm-hmm. advertising marketing trades. It's like where I spend most of my reading, my, my guilty pleasure are John Grisham and, and uh, Carl Hyacin books. Love it. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's what I pick up and sort of like read quickly when I'm on planes and not thinking about work. Yeah. Well, um, over the course of the last couple, several of my interviews and, and guests have been authors, uh, folks that have even either written about politics or written about journalism. And so I'm starting a, um, a putting together a little Friday reporter like book list, right? Recommended book list. So I always ask, uh, but I do also ask for streaming because if you're not finding time to like read anything that's really of note, uh, you also can recommend what, one of your favorite uh, stream because everybody wants to know what they're going to watch next, right? I mean, I, I know there's too much. So there's much. too much on. It's hard to keep up. It's, we I, just finished that terrible Anna Delvey story thing, Inventing Anna, which I I, I don't know how we powered through that. We just like a train wreck. We couldn't, you know, keep our eyes off it. But I, that was an I interesting heard. story too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Mrs. Maisel and I can't wait today. You know, the fact that it comes out two episodes on a Friday, this being the Friday Reporter, it's my favorite, one of my favorite shows. So, all right. So Jason Wagenheim, final question. And uh, if you haven't thought about it, you can get back to me on it. But is there someone in your space that you would recommend for a future episode? Oh, I think you should have one of our editors on. Uh, Tiffany Reed runs fashion for us. Um, Emma Rosenblum is our chief content officer of the Lifestyle site. She can really dig in with you on, you know, how to build an incredible team of journalists and have them publish at the rate at which we do and the, and the quality at which we do. Yeah, they would be great. Awesome. I'll, I'll tell both of them that you nominated them for a future episode. Yeah, That's kind yeah, of the no way question. it's the way the show has kind of uh, continued to grow is that not only am I talking to folks that are here in DC, but I've talked to folks in Colorado. I've talked to folks in New Jersey. I love talking to my New Jersey people. can't help it. And uh, Go Jers. You know, got it. And so, um, well, Jason Wagenheim, what a treat. So, so good. Can we, to, can, can we have this episode sponsored by the windmill in Long Branch, the I mean, hot dog place that we used to go to? I went to. to high school with the kid <laughs> whose grandparents, no, I went to college with the kid whose grandparents used to own it. I think it's now long since not the same oh. ownership, but boy, that would be fun. We should meet, we should host, maybe we should do another show, a live show from the top, the top of the windmill. <laughs> Let's do it, Lisa. I, I love, love it. it. I love it. I love it. Jason Wagenheim, thank you for being on the show today. Great to see you and congrats on everything you're building with this audience, Lisa. I had so much fun talking to my old friend Jason Wagenheim on today's episode. So much fun that we got to the end of the interview. I turned off the recording and I forgot to ask him about his side hustle. So here I am promoting my good friend Jason's new venture uh, and fun venture, which I think Everybody has found something different and new during the pandemic. Jason is also, uh, he's got a a barbecue sauce that's called East End Cowboy. You can find it at eastendcowboy.com. All my friends from the South will call shenanigans about a boy from New Jersey making barbecue sauce, but it's pretty great. And uh, I'm pretty grateful for Jason and his time today. So thanks again. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.